Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. I actually want to start a new series today um, called Follow Me. Look at your neighbor and say, follow me. And uh, I don't mean like follow your neighbor. This isn't like uh, follow me somewhere. We're going to go play hide and go seek. This is, um, I really wanted to uh, name this series Following Jesus Beyond Just Believing in Him. But that's really long and hard to remember and hard to say. So I went with follow me. (laughs) Is that okay? All right. Praise the Lord. Y'all doing good today? I'm so glad to be here with y'all at the end of spring break, and uh, it's beautiful outside. We got some nice Florida spring weather today, and uh, I'm so thankful. Like I told you earlier, I've been reading through the New Testament, and um, I read a book called Titus this week. Anybody heard of the book of Titus before? Some of you are like, Titus, I've never heard of that before. If that's where you are, that's okay. But listen, I believe that God wants us to know his word. So if you don't know the book of Titus today, that's okay. Don't feel bad, but let's grow from there. Let's not use the excuse anymore of, well, I just didn't know. I don't have time. Listen, we all have the same hours in the day. We all have the same opportunity. It's just how we choose to use it. Amen. So let's choose to use it to no longer just take it for granted and not know what's in there. Let's know what's in there because there's so many opportunities out in our world to be deceived, to believe something that's not true, to get pulled off into this, to get stuck into that. Let's know what's in the word. Come on, that's what church is all about. You shouldn't just come and just leave and that's great. Great message. Thank you. No, let's grow. Let's be changed as we're here. Amen. So the book of Titus, it's in the New Testament. It's right after First and Second Timothy. It's a short book, three chapters. And just so a little background on this book of Titus, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a guy named Titus. <laughs> he's writing to Titus, who he sent to a city called Crete, where they had started a church, him and Paul and his team had started a church and they had left somebody in charge, went to another city, started another church. That's kind of what Paul did. And so Paul noticed there were some problems at the church, sends Titus back to help bring some correction in the leadership of the church. And so he's writing to Titus saying, Titus, here are the qualifications for leading in the house of God. What does it mean to be a leader in God's house? What kind of person should I be? What kind of person should you look for, Titus, to put someone to be an elder and a deacon, a leader in the house of God? And he says, Titus, be careful um, as you're appointing and, and bringing people into leadership. Be careful because there are people, many people, he says, who are rebellious, they don't know what they're talking about, and are deceived. It's a warning. He's warning Titus, and I'm just so thankful to be in a room of people who are not rebellious, who are surrendered, who are not deceived. We know the truth, and the truth makes us free. Come on, somebody, anybody else? All right, so he's writing to Titus about this. In verse 16, he says, Titus, you need to be aware. These are people in the church who are this way. Verse 16, he says, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. 
When I read that, man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. You know what I'm saying? They claim to know God, but deny him by their actions, by the way they live, the things that they do. Man, I, when I read that, I paused in that moment. I was so grieved in my spirit, you know, just thinking like, how could this happen in the church? How could it be that people who've been set free from the curse of sin, people who have been redeemed, how could it be that people who have been in the presence of God, people who serve on a regular basis, how could it be that people in the church have become so deceived that they claim to know God but deny him by everything else that they do and don't even realize it? Man, I was so grieved in my spirit. And just in that moment, I was like, Holy Spirit, reveal in me where, I, where I've denied you by my actions. Come on. Because we're people. We're never going to get it right. But can I tell you, that's the good news of Jesus. That's the grace of God. That's what the grace of God is for, so that when I don't get it right, that he's there to say, you know what, come on, son. Come on, daughter. I'll forgive you. That's the promise. Forgiveness is automatic. He says anytime we turn to him and we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So that's the promise. But it's just that I believe what he's saying here, too many Christians live on that treadmill. They're running. They're on the treadmill of sin and messing up. And, oh, God's got me by his grace, so it doesn't matter what I do. I'll, I'll be good. God's going to forgive me. And they're on the treadmill of life trying to be good, messing up, feeling like they're a sinner. God, please forgive me. God forgives them, and then they go out and do it again. They're just staying on this treadmill. And I believe God is calling to his church, saying, church, it's time to wake up. It's time to go beyond just believing in Jesus and actually following him, letting our lives, right? you know, like, uh, I don't believe Jesus just wants people who believes in him. He wants people who live, act, and talk like him, that we follow him. What did he say when he left this earth? He said, uh, he said, uh, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say, just sit there and believe and that's good enough. He said, no, I want you to go out and do what I've done and do even greater things than I've done. But it's going to be real hard to do the works of Jesus and bring people to God when our lives don't look like Jesus. And this is what Paul is writing to Titus. He's saying, hey, people claim to know God but deny him with their lifestyle. I'm just thankful to be in a church like, that's not us. Come on, victory. That's not going to be us. We're not going to be those Christians who talk a good game but then live a different life and then people who don't know God look at us and be like, that's not right. I don't need that. Anybody know that Christian? Come on, don't nudge anybody right now. <laughs> just let the Holy Spirit do his work, you know. Like, I'm just so tired of hearing people when I'm sharing my faith with somebody, or, you know, especially for me, people ask, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, you're one of those, you know. Because like, they've seen so many Christians who are this kind of Christian. The Titus live, claim they know God, they talk a good game, they make other people feel bad about what they're doing, but then they go and do it secretly on their own. Come on. I believe this is a wake-up call. God is calling to his church and saying, church, come on, it's time to grow up a little bit. It's time to move out of, the, out of the, the, the spiritual preschool and become a little more mature, to have some roots, to have some depth to us, to allow our lives to begin to look like Jesus. 
Come on, that's why we're talking about follow me. And so I want to take the next several weeks leading up to Easter to unpack this whole idea of how can we follow Jesus every day? How can we be more like him just on a daily basis? Because I don't know about y'all, but tomorrow, uh, Lord willing, when I wake up, it will be Monday. <laughs> Anybody else love Mondays? Like three people are raising their hand. Everybody else is like, no. Especially after spring break, the Monday after spring break. Praise the Lord. But hey, every day is a good day to praise the Lord. As the scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice that we're in it. Come on, somebody. So today, the word of the Lord is it's all about Jesus. Look at somebody sitting beside you and say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What's really interesting in our world is that you can talk about spiritual things all day long and nobody has a problem. You can talk about God, a higher power. You can talk about prayer. You know, nobody has an issue until you mention the name Jesus. And then all of a sudden, everyone gets all wigged out. You know, you could talk about Confucius. You could talk about Muhammad and, and Buddha and whatever else, what other higher plane you want to get to. You can talk about going to the Dalai Lama. You can talk about going to New Age or whatever other thing and burning incense and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's cool until you say the name Jesus. And we know why, because it's the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. It's only by the name of Jesus that we can be saved. So it's no wonder that people get offended when you say the name of Jesus because we live in a world that's increasingly after full inclusion of everything. And Jesus was not. Let me say that one more time. Jesus was not about full inclusion of everything. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through him. Yes, Jesus loves everyone. Yes, Jesus accepts everyone. But only the people that are willing to come to him and say, I give you my life. You are Lord and I am not. Those are the people who are saved that can come to God. Come on. When we leave behind our own ways, our own stinking thinking, and we say, Jesus, your ways are higher than my ways. Come on. Jesus is the way. So it's, it's no wonder people get offended about Jesus. I mean, and really, even people who don't believe in Jesus, like they believe he existed. No, most people won't debate the existence of Jesus. Yeah, he existed. He was a good teacher, maybe even a prophet. Most people even believe his teachings were good. Help the poor, you know, you should pray more and all. Like most people won't argue that until it comes to the point of, uh, of lordship, of giving him the Lord of your life. And, and um, you know, I mean, even the devil believes in Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 19, let me show you in scripture. It says, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. <laughs> like, they're freaked out uh, they, because they know the truth. He's like, so, so it's not about believing. <laughs> Even people who, who don't know the Lord believe he exists, believe that there, it was Jesus. The demons believe. The devil believes in Jesus, but he ain't going to be in heaven. So it's not about believing. There's a massive difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus and letting my life follow him, right? Um, you know, and when we read the life of Jesus uh, in the books of the Bible and the New Testament, you can read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the first chapter of Acts, you'll see uh, we study the life of Jesus. We'll, we'll see that he was actually calling constantly for people not to believe in him but to follow him. 
right? Let me show you a couple places in the scripture. Matthew 4, 19, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. John chapter 1, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. When he called his disciples, it wasn't just, hey guys, believe in me because I'm the good teacher. No, he said, come, leave what you're doing, follow me. Leave all behind, right? In one place, uh, he's calling to people, follow me, and uh, people start making excuses. One guy said, uh, preacher, I'll follow you, but let me uh, first go and, and my, bury you know, the, the people in my family. People have died. And Jesus said, leave the dead behind. Come, follow me. That's a harsh statement. But Jesus is looking for people who are, it's symbolic language to say, leave behind the things of the past. Are you willing to come and follow me? Abandon it all. Come on. Following Jesus. I believe this is the same thing he's saying to us today. Follow me. And yet too often, I think we exchange the words believing for following. It's going to become interchangeable. People believe that God exists, but their lives look nothing like how the Bible teaches us a Christian should live. People believe that God is giving and generous, but they really trust their money more than they trust God, right? People believe that God forgives them and that God loves them, that he'll make them new, but they continue to live in the shame and the guilt of their past. People believe that God is good, but if a God is good, how could he send people to hell? How could he love me? Listen, can I just tell you God doesn't send people to hell that he's mad at? God made a way for people to escape hell. And it's the personal decision of each and every person on this earth, whether to receive Jesus as your Savior or to reject him, that decides whether a person goes to heaven or to hell. Right? Jesus is the one that made a way. And so that's why I believe this is a good place to just clearly understand how we receive faith in Christ. How are we how do we receive salvation? Because scripture makes it clear that believing is the place where it all begins. So we're not saying you don't need to believe. Of course we need to believe. Belief is the place where our faith begins, but too many people have stopped in belief as if that's the destination. Let me show you in scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Uh, it, it tells us this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is the picture of, of how a person is saved. Verse 10, he says, for it is with your heart that you, what? Believe. So being saved, being redeemed from sin starts in the place of belief. But I want to show you that even in the process of first believing in Jesus, God never intends for our faith to stop in belief. The very next thing, the very part of receiving Christ, first is belief, and he says, you believe in your heart and are justified, and it is with your mouth you profess and are saved. So even receiving Jesus, God says, okay, good, we've got the belief down. You believe that Jesus is your Savior. Let's take the next step and begin to put some action to it so that it's so much more than belief. We believe in our heart, and then our faith gets into gear, and we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Salvation comes. Do you, do you see it? Do you get this? God wants us to, yes, believe, but he wants our life to be so much more than belief, but be action, right? It's essential that we believe it's where our faith begins, but we begin to speak it out. Has anybody ever had your car battery stop working? Um, 
I have. Um, if you ever have, maybe you have roadside assistance or maybe, like me, you've got some jumper cables. I asked my friend Edwin to bring up some, uh, my jumper cables from my pickup. Give my friend Edwin a big hand today. So thankful for you. These are jumper cables. Um, by the way, I am not a mechanic. If you use jumper cables, please be very careful. If you need car help, you see my friend Charles, he will hook you up. These jumper cables are amazing things because you can take these and clip them onto your battery that won't turn over in your car. You know that day and it's a thousand degrees outside and you get inside and you're like, I'm ready for the AC and you put your key in and you go to turn it. Oh, I'm in trouble. You know what I'm saying? As the sweat pours down your face. And it's that moment, your car battery won't start over. What do you do? Well, maybe, you, you know, if you have roadside assistance, fine. They're going to come and give you a jump. Or you can call a friend, a spouse, somebody that you know that's going to come, and they're going to get out some jumper cables and hook it up to your dead, lifeless battery. And then on the other side of these cables, like my friend Edwin has here, he's going to hook them up to his life-giving battery in his car that's running, Right? And then what happens is, once it's hooked up to his battery, it's hooked up to my battery, power begins to be transferred through this wire into this dead, lifeless battery. And after just a few seconds, all of a sudden, I can turn my car over. Hey, praise the Lord. You get smashed in the face with AC, and all of a sudden, you start to break out with a Pentecostal dance, you know? Maybe that's just me, okay. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, you get your hanky out, waving it, dabbing your forehead off, you know, praise. Nobody's been, okay. It's just so interesting what these jumper cables can do, but I've never seen anybody with a dead battery get their car jumped. The car is running now. Take the jumper cables off. Okay, great. The car's running. Close the door and walk away. No one would do that. That would be crazy. If, if you did that, my friend Edwin would be looking at you like he's looking at me right now like, what's wrong with you? No one would get their car running, close the door and walk away and say, thanks, we'll see you later and walk away. No, what do we do? We get into the car, we drive away and go on and continue to our destination. That's the purpose of getting the car running again. Maybe the destination is the mechanic shop or AutoZone, get a new battery, whatever, I don't know. But we get to the destination. And sometimes it's like that in our faith. So many people get to the place where, you know, when we're dead in sin, our spirit without Christ is dead and lifeless. And we're trying to just figure things out, but just things don't seem to work right. We can't, we can't figure out how to get to God. We can't take care of sin on our own. And without Christ, our spirit is dead and lifeless. But then a moment comes where we begin to believe in Jesus, maybe if I hook my life up to something greater than me, maybe if I hook my life up to Jesus. Oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Maybe if I hook my life up to something greater than me. You don't have to clamp them on yourself. It's okay. If I begin to believe in Jesus. Man, what happens? Then I begin to believe. Then I begin to confess with my mouth, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. All of a sudden, power starts to be transferred from life that is Jesus. It begins to be transferred into my dead, lifeless spirit. 
2 Corinthians 5 says that anyone who is in Christ is what? Is made new. You are a new creation. Life, the power of God is transferred miraculously into your dead lifeless spirit. And it says your spirit is made new. It comes to life. All of a sudden, you have the power of God, the love of God, the life of God, the anointing of God on your life. You've been made new. Like you can go and do with your life what God has called you to do. But so many stay in that place where they're like, thanks God, I believe you're good. And then they go walk away from their running car, just back to their normal life. Thanks God, I'll let you know when I need your help again. As if all God wanted to do was just give you a jump in just a moment. Listen, it starts in belief, but God fills your life with power through his spirit so that you could go and make a difference in this world, so that you could go and do what he created you to do. Some of us have been trying to do the thing that God created us to do because we know our skills, we know our abilities, and we kind of have this sense inside of us like, I want to do something significant with my life. I want to do something great. I want to make a difference, you know, like I want to help people or whatever it is. We're trying to do some things, but things don't add up. They don't fully make sense because we haven't brought God in the supernatural into the equation it's just been us and God is saying hey it's time to come back to the car let's transfer some power from the life-giving source into our dead places and allow us to be able to go and do what he's called us to do come on thank you Edwin give my friend a big hand I believe God wants us to follow him with every part of our lives so that we go way beyond believing, being filled in a moment, and actually begin to live, act, and speak like Jesus did. You notice when you read through the Bible that Jesus never said, follow me, guys, and you'll have the best life ever. It's not, <laughs> that's actually not what he said. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Anybody have social media? Use social media? Uh, it's interesting to me how social media and our culture has gone from being invented to being essential to everyday life. It's not essential, come on, uh, but it's just this idea has permeated our culture of following and what that means. What does it mean to follow? Like when you get on social media and you want to follow somebody, you know, I believe it's really diluted what it means to follow because when you get on whatever platform, and there's so many platforms out there, it's kind of crazy, there's a platform for everything. You know, you get on there and you, you, you go to follow a person. There's this little blue button right next to their name and you tap it and now you are following them. You know, you know, you see all their pictures, all their updates, their bio and where they went on vacation, where you wish you were instead of them. And you know all these random facts about them and it gives you the illusion that you know that person, that you know what they want you to know about them. A very limited scope. Listen, we got we got to stop putting so much stock in what we see on social media. Nothing is real on there. Nothing is real on there. Stop putting so much stock and weight in it. Stop putting your value in it. Stop determining if I look like them and I had their vacation and then we max it out to the max on our credit cards because we got to keep up with them. Listen, nothing is real on there. All right, I'm preaching 87% better than y'all are amen today. But that's okay, I love you anyways. 
When you follow somebody on social media, it gives you this diluted sense of really knowing that person and following, knowing some facts, knowing some things about them, but you're really not following them. You're just keeping up with some information about them. And because I follow them, I know them, and it's diluted so much in our culture that we see it playing out in the church now and in belief with God. Never before have we followed so many people and so many people feel so alone and so isolated could it be that we're not really following that we're just trying to keep up we see it more less and less people attending church regularly but they're following their favorite speaker their favorite personality as long as they don't mess up uh, so that way they can keep a, a safe arm's distance away from accountability and correction Right? Never before have we seen so many people, uh, uh, less and less people, knowing and memorizing and, and reading the word of God, but posting scriptures every day on their social media with flowers and mountains behind them. Because we've allowed this idea of what it means to follow Jesus, permeate us and dilute us to the point where we think if we're keeping up with the things, then it means I'm following Jesus. I'm, I'm a-okay. I'm good. But Jesus called us to a so much deeper life than that. He says, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. Deny yourself. Then you can follow me. That's the call. That's the call of following Jesus. When you look up the word Follow in the dictionary means to come after a guide, to engage as a calling or a way of life, to be in or act in accordance with directions as with authority. Are we following Jesus or do we just have belief in him? See, when we're, when we're following him, we're not just following along on a trip. We're engaged with Jesus in a way of life. We're, we're, when we're following Jesus, we're living in accordance with his directions as with authority. That's what it means to follow him. So I want to give us today um, four principles that I think are going to help us start, uh, begin to kind of shift gears out of just believing or a deluded sense of following to following Jesus every day. How do we do it? Um, four things. Hopefully if you're taking notes, you'll write these down. The first one is this, is that following Jesus is a way of life. It's a way of life. Um, I have a confession to make to you guys today. I don't think you guys are ready for this. Um, I do not have the body of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I know it comes as a surprise to some, but I do not have the same mass of muscle that The Rock has or Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor, has. But I wish I did, you know, like anybody else. Like, maybe not as much as they have, because that's a lot. But maybe, you know, like uh, sometimes I'm like, man, if I just had 1%, of the fitness and muscles that those guys had, then I would be something. You know, anybody else? Okay, just me. Praise the Lord. Um, I, you know, I never wanted to be huge like that and walk around like this, not be able to put my arms down at my side. But I just like, I, like I have muscles. I am strong, but I'm not as defined or you know as I could be. You know what I'm saying? And um, uh, then what happens, you know, okay, Chris Hemsworth, yeah, okay, The Rock. Then I get a little inspired. Anybody, you know, you, you see that, like, okay, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start doing the things. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start doing some running and all that kind of stuff. And as I'm inspired in that moment, I quickly remember there is a massive difference between believing that working out will help me and actually doing it. Anybody ever experienced that moment? There is a huge difference between believing that going to the gym will help me look like Chris Hemsworth 
or actually going to the gym. And then I see people posting on social media that they're there for like four hours a day or however long. I don't know. It seems like that because there's like 18 selfies of them by the, by the weights, you know, like all different kinds of things and stuff. And, and I see their stuff and I'm sitting over there sipping coffee, you know, <laughs> believing that working out will help me, but not actually living like it will help me. There's a huge difference between the two, and it's the same in our faith with Jesus. So many people see the things on social media, come to a service, you're like, oh man, they're way more spiritual than I could ever be. I don't think I could know the word like that, but I really want to. And we get inspired in a moment, and we even try, you know, we even get home on Monday, and we're like, okay, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to try to read my Bible, and then it's like, snooze, snooze, snooze. Oh my gosh, I got it. You know, like, we get inspired in a moment, but then we sit back, we get into the flow of life, and just continue looking at everybody as all the opportunity and everything else passes us by believing that it would help us to grow, believing that God wants to be close to us and wants to know us, believing that we can come to God in faith, but yet not actually living like it. There's a huge pandemic in the church, and it's not called COVID. It's called people who believe in God, claim they know him, but just continue to live any way they want because it's just so much easier. It's just so much more convenient than actually changing their life. But if you want to follow Jesus, it is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of living, right? There, there, there's two parts that make up a lifestyle. Whatever the lifestyle is, there's two things that help define what a lifestyle is. The first part is a person's actions. Whatever that person does helps to define what their lifestyle is, whatever it is. And if you don't believe me, uh, you can ask, you know, somebody who has a different lifestyle than yours or whatever, you know. Uh, but this whole idea of uh, our actions defining our lifestyle, our actions even defining the level of our faith, it isn't new. It comes from scripture. James chapter two, verse 14, he's writing, this is the Passion Translation. He says, my dear brothers and sisters. So he's talking to Christian people, people in the church like us. He says, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but demonstrates no good works to prove it? How could this kind of faith save anyone? So that's the, I'm gonna keep my faith to myself. Nobody needs to know about it. I'm just gonna do whatever I want. For example, if a brother or sister in the faith is poorly clothed and hungry and you leave them saying, bye, have a good day, hope everything works out for you, I'll pray for you, good things, but you don't provide them with a coat or even a cup of soup, what good is your faith? So then, faith that doesn't involve action is phony. I wonder how many days we've gone through where our faith has appeared phony because we haven't proved it by our actions. See, a lifestyle following Jesus, any lifestyle involves a person's actions. Another thing that involves a, a what, life, what a lifestyle is, is um, the fruit, or that's, the, that's just the Bible word, the fruit, but we could also say the things that are produced, the things that come from that lifestyle help to define what the lifestyle is. So if you wanna know what your lifestyle is, look at the fruit, look at the results of your life, what is coming from your life. And the truth is when we are following Jesus, the Bible is very clear, it makes it clear that following Jesus will produce fruit or results in our lives. It will be evident what we are following with our lifestyle. Um, in John chapter 15, Jesus is gathered with his disciples. Um, it's, it's right after what we call the Last Supper. 
and he's, he's gathered with his disciples and he's out on this terrace and it says there was a garden there and he walks up to these vines that are growing there and he starts to teach his disciples the final message that he would give them before he would be betrayed by Judas and go to the cross, right? So that's where we are in the story of Jesus. In John 15, verse five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, here's the promise, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, nothing. So when we are following after him, Jesus said, the promise is there. There will be much fruit. There will be much evidence. There will be so much good coming from your life because you're following me. This is such good news for us that as we're studying the word, as we're getting to know him, spending time in his presence, as we worship, there will be evidence in our lives because we are following Jesus. And maybe you've encountered the Christian who has, talks about it, but there's no evidence in your life, and uh, maybe they didn't act like it and whatever. And if you encounter that person and you thus had a negative view of God and the church and Christians, that I apologize, but just know that no matter what church you go into, no matter what Christian you meet up, no one will ever be perfect. So before we judge a person based on what we think of them as a hypocrite, whether they live or act like not, it's been all of us. It's been all of us. So let's, let's start to live like Jesus is the good news. Let's start to live like his grace is amazing because we can, when we miss it, we can turn to him and he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. We've just got to get to the point where our heart's desire, <laughs> our heart's desire is to get off that treadmill that we've been running on. Just the endless cycle of messing up, repenting, messing up, repenting, getting off the treadmill and letting our hearts grow to the place where more than anything else, our desire is to be pleasing to God. More than anything else, God, I want to know you and be close to you. It's that kind of place that God wants to draw us to so that there would be fruit, so that there would be evidence of his spirit in our lives. So uh, how do we identify what is being produced in our lives? It's a good question, right? Because uh, honestly, you could look at your life and you could prove anything. I don't know if you've met that person. Like they can justify anything. Oh no, this is happening in my life, so everything's good, you know, or whatever. We can justify and prove anything that we want. So we need some kind of standard, some kind of measuring stick to determine what is being produced in our lives. Uh, and I just, I choose to make the word of God my measuring stick. You can choose whatever measuring stick you want. This is just the one that doesn't change. This is the one that actually is truth. Galatians chapter five, the apostle Paul, he's writing here again and he just makes it clear where the measuring stick is on what is being produced out of our lives. Uh, Galatians five verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh or the acts of not the spirit of God, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, not those who believe that, those who what? Live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, so there's that. <laughs> like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? Uh, indicators of what's being produced in our lives. But then he, let's get to the good stuff. Come on, let's get to the good part. But the fruit of the Spirit, the results of the Spirit of God in our lives are obvious too. It is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So here's the challenge for us today. Are we willing to evaluate the fruit of our lives according to God's word? Or do we want to just continue to justify it so that we feel better about ourselves? I can't make that decision for you. You've got to make that decision, right? It's the results of what's being produced in our lives. We've got to begin to make some adjustments before the Spirit of God so that we can follow Jesus more. Amen? Following Jesus is a lifestyle. Here's the second principle about following Jesus. Following Jesus is not just some task that we do. It's who we are. It's who we are. I want to look back uh, at Matthew chapter 4. I read it earlier, but I want to go back to it um, just for some context in the story. In Matthew 4, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. So he hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't preached any great sermons yet. He's, he's walking around looking for disciples, uh, his, his dream team of people. And um, he's there at the Sea of Galilee. And he sees two guys, Andrew and Peter, fishing on a boat with their dad. You know, like, and this is not like, this is not a hallmark moment. Fishing with dad. You know, it's not like that at all. This was their, their livelihood. They were commercial fishermen. And so they were out on a big boat. They would go out and fish overnight, throwing their nets in, hauling in the fish, like, like large uh, catches of fish so that then at daybreak they would come to shore, clean everything up, take it into town and sell it. Like this is their life. So they were sweaty, stinky. They were a mess. Like it was a rough life. They probably had some uh, interesting language going on. You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of moment. And here Jesus is walking by, sees these two guys coming in in the morning and he says, Matthew chapter four, verse 19. This is the Passion Translation. Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me and I will transform you. Interesting word. Look at somebody sitting beside you and say transform. I will transform you into men who catch people for God. Jesus said, I want you to notice in this, two things happen when we follow him. First, there's a transformational process. He's not just saying, I want you to go out and do some tasks for me. We need to, like, I want to change who you are from, from the inside out. It's not just, I need you to be a better person. Like, let's transform from where you were to where you are. Again, 2 Corinthians 5. Anyone who's in Christ is what? A new creation. The old is gone. All things are new. The, see, following Jesus is a transformational process. And so I would suggest if your life is not being transformed, if there's no change in your life to be more like Jesus, it could be that you've slipped into believing and not following. It is a transformational journey. And not just so that we become a better person. He said, I want to transform you so that you can go out and help other people be transformed so that you can go out and bring other people into the family. Come on, aren't you glad Jesus made you new? Aren't you glad somebody else came and brought you to Jesus so that you could be transformed? That's the joy, that's the good news of Jesus, that we get to be part of the process of helping other people follow Jesus. It gives us purpose and meaning in our journey with Jesus. Here's the next one, number three. Following Jesus changes our identity. I don't mean... You don't get a new social security number. It doesn't change your last name. It doesn't change your skin color or your ethnicity or your eye color or your hair color. So what does that mean? 
changes your identity, right? When we follow Jesus, Scripture teaches us that you are literally brought into God's family. Scripture says you are now members of God's own family, his sons, his daughters. Your identity changes from a person to a son, a daughter of God, a member of God's family, right? Some people identify with different things. People identify with their, uh, with their you know, their, uh, their family name. This is who I am. They, some people identify with their past, the things that they've done. Some people identify with the limitations they put on their lives. I'm only this good and I can't be any better or whatever. Some people identify with their status level or their job. Some people identify who they are with how much money they have in their bank account or what someone else has told them that they are. People can identify with any number of things. But when you start following Jesus, he gives you an identity. He gives you an identity as his child, his son, his daughter, right? Belonging in his family, and it changes everything for us. Romans 8, 14 says, For those who are led by God are the children of God. The spirit you received, now he's talking about the spirit we received when we give our lives to Jesus, right? And all things are made new. The spirit of God comes in us. He says, that spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. So a relationship with God is not about living in fear, trying to do a good enough job, trying to do the right things, trying to just not mess up so God's not mad at me. That's not a relationship with God. A relationship with God is a relationship with a good heavenly father, a God who loves you, wants the best for you, and is pulling you forward into growth, right? Not trying to perform and do the right actions. He says, that's not the spirit you received, not to live in fear. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and I would add daughtership. All the ladies in the house said, yep, come on. The spirit God put inside of you brings you to that point where you are adopted by him into his family. You were lost. You were on your own. But when you said, Jesus, help me. I want you in my life. God said, I adopt you. You're mine. Just like if you were mine from the beginning, you are now my son. You are my daughter. That is the spirit God put inside of you. So when something else comes and tries to tell you that God is mad at you or doesn't want to know you or doesn't have anything good for you, then you know that's a lie from the pit of hell because you are a son. You are a daughter. Come on, sons and daughters, they act differently in the family. I have a daughter, and you know, when she was growing up and just a little kid, you know, uh, she would come into my office and she would just come running right up into my chair. Dad, just jump. It didn't matter if I was in a meeting with the boss. You know, anybody with kids know what I'm talking about? You've seen those Zoom calls where people are on a Zoom like doing like a multi million dollar deal and their kids running there. I'm like, Dad, you know, like sons and daughters just act a little differently. They know they belong in the house. They don't sit outside and wonder, well, I guess I don't need to be, I guess I'll find somewhere else to be today. I mean, it's just, no, they know they belong in the house. They know they can come in the house whenever they need it. They know that they can find what they need in the house, that there will be nourishment, that they have a place, you know. Uh, but someone who is a, uh, when you hire someone to come and clean your house or to fix something in your house, what do they do? They don't just walk into your house. They come to the door and knock, uh, hello, uh, I'm here to help. Can, is there anything that I can do um, to, to make things better? And then when they're done, what do they do? They leave. They make sure they get paid, they get what they want, and then they go somewhere else. Listen, you are not called to be a hired hand. You have been adopted. You are a son. You are a daughter. So what if we begin to live like that in the house of God, like we belong, like this is our home? 
Like this is our family. Like this is the place where we make a difference, that I know I can get what I need and I can make a difference for somebody else. Rather than coming up and like, is that okay? Yes, you belong in the family. Come on, somebody. Look at somebody sitting beside you and say, you belong. Come on, let me show you in Scripture, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. God is a relational God. And more than anything else, he wants to know you. He wants to be close to you. That's why I always say Christianity is not a set of rules. It's not trying to to be perfect or whatever. Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have that, you got nothing. God is a relational God, and he wants to know you. That's why Jesus came to the earth, to make a way so that every person who would choose to give him their life could know God in a real and personal way. We're talking about principles to following Jesus beyond just believing Um, Number one, follow Jesus is a way of life. Number two, following Jesus. It's not just some tasks we do. It's who we are. Three, following Jesus changes our identity. And here's the last one. Following Jesus is about knowing him personally. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing this song again. Listen, following Jesus is all about Jesus. It's all about him. And if it becomes about anything else, then we've made something else an idol. Following Jesus is all about Jesus. It's all about him. And I don't know what your background is or what specific thing you knew growing up, what you think about Christianity or whatever it is. But what I do know is that Jesus wants to know you personally. That's why he called his disciples. Hey, come follow me. He didn't just say, hey, come listen to me tell you what to do. (laughs) Right? He said, come follow me. I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to show you the father. Like he wants to be with us in our lives. And it's interesting about the disciples. I think um, we can relate a lot more to the disciples than we realize, you know, because uh, if Jesus was only concerned about having perfect people near him, he wouldn't have called the disciples. If Jesus was concerned about people who could get the outward part put together and packaged nicely, then he picked the wrong 12 guys. He picked two guys who were fishermen, who didn't know much about anything. He picked two other guys who were known for emotional outbursts. He picked a political activist. He picked a tax collector. He picked a guy who was a thief and would eventually betray him. He picked a guy who would doubt him. He picked a guy who would deny that he even knew Jesus in the most critical hour. You know, if Jesus was looking for people who had it all together, man, what was he thinking? These were the wrong guys. But Jesus picked them, and Scripture says it was these ordinary guys who turned the world upside down, started a revival that we are living in today. We are fruit of their following Jesus. So I think Jesus is less less concerned about are we perfect, do we have it all together, and more concerned about what is the fruit of being produced through our lives as we're following him. What do our lives look like? Do we sound like Jesus? Or do we sound like the evening news full of fear and everything's going to fall apart? Do we sound like Jesus? Are we speaking life into people? Are we seeing destiny in somebody that no one else sees and helping pull it out of them? Or are we just cursing at them, making jokes about them, making people feel worse about themselves? What do we sound like? What do we look like when we interact with people? Are we always upset, angry all the time? Or are we gentle? Are we caring? Are we loving? Are we patient? What is the result? What is the fruit of our lives? Are we following Jesus or do we just believe that he's a good person and a good teacher and whatever else how do we know jesus more 
I think it's much like getting to know any other person. You know, those of you who are dating, or those of you who are married, when you first met that person, what did you do? You wanted to get to know them more. So you, you, you got their phone number. How do I talk to you? Uh, you went to where they were. You wanted to be close to them. You wanted to be around them. You wanted to learn what they liked, what they didn't like, so that, you know, all those things. You learned to listen when they would talk. You wanted to go to places. You wanted to have fun together. And it's much like knowing Jesus. When we know Jesus more, we go to where he is, his church. We go to places where his spirit's being poured out, where it's evident. When we want to know Jesus more, we get to know the things that he likes, the things that he doesn't like. Well, how do I know that? Well, it's in his word. He told us who he is, what his priorities are, what he wants us to do. He told us the things that he likes, the things he doesn't like. If we want to know him more, then we're spending time getting to know him. We're spending time in his presence, listening to when he's speaking, praying, talking to him, right? We want to get to know Jesus, then we get around other people who are following Jesus. Come on, why don't we do this right now? Let's get to our feet. I believe God wants to draw us in this morning. God wants to move us out of some places where we've settled, some places where we've been comfortable, and move us into some places where our lives actually begin to be changed, where there's this transformational thing beginning to take place. You know, you can, sometimes we, we don't like going through that process because it's hard. It's hard in a moment to repent hurts sometimes. It's hard to make changes in our lives, just to be transformed by Christ. But can I tell you, if you, if you want to avoid the hard now, it will make life harder later. But if you're willing to deal with the hard now, it will make later in life so much better. So let's just in this moment, I believe the Spirit of God is here. Can we just open our hearts to Him in this moment? Lord, I just thank you that you're moving in this place right now. By the power of your spirit, God, I thank you. You're speaking to every heart, every mind right now. You're not angry at us, God, but you're giving us an invitation, an invitation to draw close to you, to know you more, God. We want to move past simply believing that you're good and actually begin to follow you, that our lives would begin to look more and more like Jesus. And if that's the, the cry of your heart today, just begin to tell him in your own words, Lord, I want to follow you with everything. I want to look like you. I want to sound like you. I want to act like you did, Jesus. I want more of you, God, and less of me. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word.